the overarching mindset is it's value plus people plus process. Mindset drives behavior. It's one of the tenets and principles of Dr. Stephen Covey, where he said, if you want to change behavior a little, work on your behaviors. But if you want quantum leaps in behavior, work on your mindset. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm gonna choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. My guest today is the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Five Choices, The Path to Extraordinary Productivity. After spending 25 years in business, from frontline positions to executive level, she joined the iconic Frankly Covey organization and now serves as their vice president of content development and senior leadership consultant. She understands the strategy and the principles necessary to build great leaders, systems, and winning cultures. And today, we're going to discuss the concepts and insights from her books, Project Management Essentials for the Unofficial Project Manager, Presentation Advantage, and the book that I just mentioned, The Five Choices. So if you want to be a better leader, if you want to manage your time with more efficiency, And if you want the tools to equip you to work in the modern era that we all live in, then this episode will be for you. I'm so excited to bring to the show, Corey Kogan. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So I first found you when I watched Scott Miller, who I interviewed on leadership. And I I was just glued to the entire episode. He's great. I've interviewed him a couple times. And... I really appreciate your thoughtfulness and the ability to take what are big, big topics that are such important topics to our life and make them practical and make them really easy to understand and also back it with some science. So we're going to talk about some of the neuroscience, but let's first start here. What is the productivity paradox? Well, the productivity paradox is that it's both easier and harder to achieve productivity. And the paradox is, you know, why is that? And well, it's easier because of technology and it's also harder at the same time because it just has created this unstoppable flow of information coming in from everywhere. So it's, you know, it's really sort of tough. I mean, we see all these systems out there today and you know, it's all supposed to make our lives easier, but at the same time, it's sort of killing us. Yeah, it really is. It's it's kind of funny. We think we'd be more efficient, not less efficient, and more productive, not potentially less effective. Let me ask you this. So what are some of the biggest changes 
you've noticed that we should be thinking about in terms of productivity because of the changes in society. We're in this knowledge worker era. So why is that sort of changing the game as it relates to productivity? Well, that's such a great question because not only that we're in the knowledge age, but even over the last four or five years, the world has completely changed. So there's a lot to that answer. When you think about you know, 120 years ago in the industrial age, people were paid to not think and they were on the assembly line and they just had to do widgets and all that kind of stuff. And now we're in the knowledge worker world where we're paid to think, innovate, create, and execute. And it's sort of amazing because everything's coming at us. Everything feels important. We feel like we need to do everything. And really it's no longer about time management. It's more about How do I make the best decisions? How do I have more focused attention? And how do I have the energy to do that? Because we have a million things coming at us all day long as knowledge workers, right? All, every email, every text, all of that coming in, our decisions our brain has to make. And we're sort of in survival mode, just trying to get through it. And at the same time, we need to be focused and we're not. And again, everybody is just sort of burnt out. So it really, time management has turned into How do I make the highest value decisions? How do I have the most focused attention? And how do I make sure I have the energy to do those first two really well? Mm, Right. Anybody that's had any kind of corporate job, you know you're inundated with just a sea of emails, a ping. And and even if you're not in corporate, even if you're a kid, you get just notifications about this or that, or you got your social media binging and buzzing, and it's overwhelming, it's daunting. And we kind of live in this, we have this, and you mentioned this in your book, Five Choices, it's the urgency addiction, right? And so it's almost like we have this like dopamine hit that we get when we have all these things coming to us and we want to check the box. We want to check it off our list. We want to get these things completed. But to your point, where we survive through this the best is making these decisions. So curious if you have some immediate tips or advice to make those high value decisions effectively? Well, yes. So, you know, and it's, it's sort of where the name, you know, the five choices came from because, well, you mentioned dopamine and all of that. The brain is so involved in all of this, because if you think about what I said before, the industrial age, it was all about optimizing manual labor. And today it's about optimizing mental labor, right? We use our brains to think, to innovate, to create and execute. And so what we say and where the five choices came into play was to say, you know what, for us to make the highest value decisions out there, we need to, as we say, how do we act on the important things and let go of some of the urgent things? And then how do we really go for extraordinary where we are creating targets in our mind as to these things are really important to me. So how do I make some decisions to let that go? So that's a starting place. That makes sense. And I'm curious now, when we think about those concepts and we think about making the high value decisions more effectively, one of those decisions plays into what's transpired recently for you is you've updated your book. And so you've updated your, your book, Project Management Essentials for the Unofficial project manager. And what we're finding in leaders is they may not have a background in project management, yet they have a lot of things on their plate that 
They need to manage those projects. And so we need to be able to make decisions fast and, and effectively for life in general, not least of which is when we have an important project. So why did you do the update on the book? And what are some of the, the biggest things that you focused on to make sure that it serves the audience? So, you know, it's been really uh, something for us because that book came out originally in 2015 and the uptake on it was even a little surprising for us. I mean, you know, how exciting is project management? But the book is written not just like you need to do this and then this and this, but there's some really great stories that are being told to tell the story of project management. So it was really popular for the last few years and really inspired us to update it. But it wasn't just us, the project management world sort of changed. And if you think about building a bridge is a project, but with all of the software and cloud and all of the companies out there, the whole agile world of project management emerged. And so the update occurred not only because of its popularity and our need to update the stories and all of that kind of stuff, but because we took a blend of what's called waterfall project management and agile project management in order to help unofficial project managers in very pragmatic, easy to learn kinds of ways, take the best of the new project management world and really provide the value in the projects that need to be done really understand how it takes people and leading people, even if you never wanted to be a leader, and having a pretty nimble process, but a process nonetheless, in order to really complete projects. So that's uh, a little bit about why we just updated that book and are pretty excited that it's out there. And who are we talking about that's the unofficial project manager? It's the same people we were just talking about with time management. It's all of us knowledge workers out there that don't even realize that they've become project managers. That's hence the name unofficial project manager. Because, and Billy, if you just think about, first of all, the definition of a project is anything with a beginning and an end that is a, a service or a product or an endeavor of any kind. If you think about all of us, our titles are not project managers. That's not my title, but I work on projects almost 100% of the day. I make big programs and write books for Franklin Covey and some other people do marketing campaigns and they're creating things all of the time. And what I always say, myself included, is that we are scarred project managers that we just because we're good at what we do, right? We're talented people and we've pushed through without having the skills that official project managers have. We've just sort of pushed through. So being able to take those official project management skills and really distill down to the few that really make sense for unofficial project managers really reduces the failure rate by a ton. Mm, right. So there is a failure rate. Obviously, every, everything has a failure rate. And, and if you reduce it, you're optimizing productivity and effectiveness because you're seeing projects actually achieve what the intended outcome is. What are you finding and what is your research found? Like, what are the biggest pitfalls that's causing the failure to begin with? 
Well, you know, again, because we've slipped into these roles of unofficial project managers, this is just such an interesting part of the conversation. I will go, no matter where I am in the world, in front of audiences or on, you know, like we're talking here, I'll say, let's brainstorm. What do you know? Why, why do projects fail? No matter where I am, no matter what continent I'm on, the same list emerges. So there's a trend here. So it is lack of clear expectations, lack of communication between everybody, no clear who's doing what, the uh, stakeholder sabotage, the project never finishes. So those are some of the key things that come up that are consistent everywhere. And I want to take that a step further because what happens is because those failures are so consistent and persistent that I want you to imagine when we say to people, oh, hey, we're going to work on this project to make this marketing campaign or whatever it might be, how excited are those people to be part of the project knowing that project after project after project is not going to have clear expectations, communication is going to be bad, we're not going to know who's doing what. It's the same over and over. And until a company or somebody recognizes that and breaks that pattern, you're going to have that same result. So the engagement level of team members by dealing with these relentless failures over time, again, just because we're using our wits and skills to get through a project versus real project management leadership. Mm, so interesting that all these themes sort of bubble up to the top as consistent points of failure and also that it leads to the engagement decline. And so when you think of engagement and, you know, as a leader myself and I run a, I run a small team, but, and I've run global teams as well, you see it all the time where you assign a project and their heart's not in it because of all the things that you just mentioned. So what tips do you have to improve engagement, I mean, obviously one of them is you have the project management leadership, but like, what are the things that have moved the needle the most with engagement with projects? Good question. And here's what we say about unofficial project management or project management overall, that the overarching mindset for a leader needs to be that it's the value of the project plus people plus process equals project success. So if you're not delivering value, you know, you know where's Bill, but it does that you can't complete the project without these people's skills. And then in the process itself, the process is five steps. It's scope, plan, execute, track and adapt and close. That's the Franklin Covey process based on the project management world. That engage part, once you have a scope, very clear expectations, you've got a good plan on whatever spreadsheet or program you like to use, and then it's time to engage your people to make it happen. So to your point, how do you do that? Well, remember also, and I think we said this earlier, a lot of project managers and leaders never wanted to lead people in the first place. So I'm going to give you tips, but I'm also going to make the point and you know this better than anybody, there's a million leadership courses and programs that people can go through for leadership development. But again, I'm going to say so many project managers never wanted to really be a leader. They just wanted to be in their office doing their work. 
And so we've distilled it down from a lot of our work at Franklin Covey to five behaviors that we say, you know what? It's almost the 80-20 rule. If you just really master these in the midst of the pressure of a project, you will inspire your people to want to not only play on your team, but want to play to win. So the five behaviors are, first of all, demonstrate respect. And I know these behaviors are going to sound like, okay, my parents taught me that. But I'll tell you, I know I've been in a leader for many years. I'm from New York City originally. I have a nice reactive family. We're very, you know, and I have to constantly remind myself under pressure. It's easier for me to say, just do it because I said so. And I have to take a deep <laughs> breath, demonstrate respect. So under pressure, these are hard. Demonstrate respect is, is one. The second one is listen first and just really open your ears, close your mouth sometimes and listen to your team. Third is to clarify expectations with the team, not just of the project, but have your team members, let them know what, how their work contributes to the bigger picture so they feel like they're making a contribution instead of just doing a job. And next, this is so important and so hard for so many leaders out there, extending trust. How do I extend trust to the team and not try to do it all myself? And last, practice accountability, not only of the team, but I have to lead out. Am I modeling accountability, following through on commitments to help the team? And then really important, how do I hold the team accountable? Because Billy, if we have meetings and you're coming and showing up late two or three days in a row and I'm not doing anything, the team doesn't see me doing anything about it in a very respectful way, then they're like, well, I can show up late and everything goes downhill. So those five behaviors are really, if you just master those, really are helpful in helping anybody that needs to lead people to the outcome of a successful project. Mm, so many great points there. And, and the last point about the accountability, you got to practice it. You got to model that behavior and others will see you doing that. They'll see you also see you not doing it, in which case you've, you've illustrated, right? Like they see, oh, well, there's not going to be accountability. It must not be important. Therefore, I could shine it on and, and not really care about it. I also especially love the respect part because it's easy for us as leaders to think, okay, I've said it should be done. Therefore, it should be done. As a parent, you alluded to this. You kind of think you can say something, it should be done. But it's like the respect goes so far. Respect people's time, respect people's effort, respect people's talents. There's so many layers to that. And I, I think it's really, really smart to have that be one of the cornerstones of that five-part formula that you've, you've built. The thing that I love about Franklin Covey is you do a lot of research, a lot of science-based research to help create the methodologies, the frameworks, and the tools that you produce to help leaders and to help people develop in whatever area that you're focusing on. Curious, like what were some of the findings that you found as it relates to either the original time you, you wrote the book or even on this current version of the book? And did anything surprise you? Did anything stand out as noteworthy as you've embraced research and studies through the process? You know, for project management, a lot of it was based on a couple of things. Number one, the Project Management Institute and their work so that we learn from them and apply some of the things to our work. We're, and we are affiliated with them. So 
people that you know take our courses, not just read the book, are eligible for continuing education credits with them, et cetera. So they're a big part of it. I think just a couple of things, and I'll come back to the science, but one of the things that's really important, because we're saying that project management is sort of, in this day and age, pretty cool because it's one of the most important skills now because by 2027, 88 million people will work in project management. That's a big statistic because everything we do is we're making things. And again, you know, even with the, the pandemic and everything that's changed over the last few years, we've had to remake things and innovate and all of those kinds of things. And I think the other thing, the other statistic that was really key for us is that about 65% of projects fail. And mm. so that was pretty significant as well. That really encourages thinking, boy, how do we just reduce that even by a few percentage points? I think some of the other work, as far as research goes, you know, the five behaviors that I gave you are principles that are timeless and natural law kinds of things. So we sort of hang our hat on that. And then some of the trends that are happening in project management. Mm. So when the entrepreneur, business owner, leader creates these projects, what advice do you have to maybe start to think twice about overdoing it with projects? So like as an entrepreneur myself, I'm very creative. I come up with a lot of ideas. And it's like one of my previous bosses says, you got to land the plane, right? You got to land the, the project plane. And a lot of times there's too many planes in the air, you know, to begin with. And to your, your stat right there, 65% of projects fail. How much attention should be spent on the front end, not even having a plane or a project take off? And what's your advice in that regard? So if we talk about leaders in, in corporations, right, they're paid to have good ideas. That sort of helps what gets them promoted. Entrepreneurs just normally have good ideas and are very innovative in their own thinking. The self-awareness is so key here because if people are working for you, you're going to kill them because, and it's, I hear this all the time, well, I have seven projects to work on and I don't know what the priorities are. And if you are treating them equitably, well, hey, listen, we need to get these seven projects done. There's just no way. And you really, and the, the, the leader, the owner, the entrepreneur really thinks needs to think through what are the priorities. And we say that there are, in fact, in Covey, we're well known for this, where we'll say there are wildly important goals, those things or projects that if we don't get it done, will have really serious consequences or we won't get the results that we want. And then there's pretty important goals. So wigs and pigs and pretty important goals where, you know what? I'm consciously thinking about it. They're good, but I'm going to put them aside now so we finish the other ones with excellence. So it's a really, we have a whole conversation around this at Franklin Covey around execution and the failure of execution on strategic objectives in organizations because they just die out because we're not allowing, we're not putting the focus on those one or two that are critical to, that'll give us the biggest bang for our buck. We're just trying to do too much. Yeah. So it's the best answer I can give you. 
Yeah, it's well, and, and thank you because it's true. And and self-awareness, right? It's like it's crucial in virtually every aspect of our life and and not you know, not definitely not excluding being a leader or being an entrepreneur. You gotta be aware of the fact, are you actually you said killing, and it's kind of true. You're like killing them with the over overburdening them with so much to do. It's daunting, it's overwhelming, it's confusing, and you're not serving them. You're hindering their ability to thrive at work. And that is a challenge. And so I'm curious, you've spent so much time thinking about these subjects and really defining how you teach people how to be better, even if they weren't on paper a project manager, they're going to need to understand these skills. So in a perfect world, somebody reads your book, what are the actions that you want them to take? If you think about, and you were going to come back to some like, maybe just from a project management perspective, are there any specific actions that you'd want them to take out the gate that would you feel would be the most impactful? Yeah, if you coalesced it into the few things out, out of everything is, and then put it into, into plain English, it's first of all, resolving themselves. And, and again, remember, people who are reading the book, a lot of times are either have very small business owners or solo businesses. And, you know, large companies too. I mean, they read the book in book club form or take out courses. One is to come to terms with, I didn't want to lead people. Now I see how important it is to have the people around me engaged in this and I can do it. I, I can lead them, even though it may, might not have been, you know, something that I wanted to do. So I think that's one thing. And when you get into it, is if I get that, is if I'm working on a project, I have got, and it's so interesting because we do this naturally. If you think of a family reunion or making Thanksgiving dinner or whatever, we're actually doing the process. I have to think about, okay, my end result, I need a cooked turkey, I need potatoes, I need string beans, I need all of those things. And so I have my, I'm scoping the project. So I'm clarifying expectations. I'm not waiting to the last minute or as I'm planning, I'm, I'm not going, well, I'll decide the day before, should I have a ham or a thing or a turkey or, <laughs> you know, we're not doing that. So getting to really clear, measurable expectations right up front, not, well, we're going to build a marketing campaign. We'll see what it looks like, but it's going to look like this. It's going to do this for the organization. So coming to a clear expectations, making sure that you have a planning tool. And the book doesn't help make experts on any particular program. It's just encouraging people to try something based on learning some key principles around things like dependencies and duration, I'll just say that, and risk management. So deciding what tool they want to use, and then you know making sure you're getting feedback from your people and from the key stakeholders out there and willing to adapt a little bit and be proactive around change and deal with reactive change. And I'll tell you, here's the final one. Make sure you close the project. So again, all these great ideas that you told me you have, Billy, what happens a lot of times is we get down the road on a project and then the shiny penny pulls us away and we have seven projects sort of sitting out there, never getting done. Another good way to frustrate team members. So making sure you really close the project. Great point. And let's move even beyond the closed project. What's your philosophy or thoughts on doing a postmortem, a debrief, or even evaluating the success of the project? What went well, what didn't go well? Any tips in that regard? 
Yes, because under the part of the process that is closed and what is called is a retrospective. That's the agile word is a retrospective. And in English, that's uh, lessons learned. It's interesting because I told you I work on projects all the time. When I get the email from my project team, my project manager that says, okay, we're going to have the retrospective, the uh, postmortem. And by the way, you use the term postmortem. You know why it's called a postmortem? Because everybody is death by projects. <laughs> we hated it. So now let's have the postmortem. So, I mean, because yeah. that means by, you know, death. So it should be the closing meeting or, you know, the follow-up meeting. And so when I get that email, I too, I, and I'm very pragmatic. I'm very honest. I'm a laboratory rat. I'm not, you know, I'm a subject matter expert, but I'm, I'm a human being too. And I'm like, ugh, do I have time for that meeting? And then when I go to the meeting and I'm like really happy I went because there's nothing better than really debriefing what went well. And it's so important for leaders to celebrate their team because we mm. move so fast in the day. And here's this combination again of time management and project management. We move so fast. We move beyond that. You know, we never stop and recognize our people and truly want to talk brain science, recognizing people, you know, they do the fMRIs and letting people know that they did a good job and how they did a good job lights up their brain more than if you gave them cash. Mm -hmm. So, and I always say, so make sure you are recognizing them, but I also, I don't mind the cash too. So <laughs> recognizing them and talking about what went well and talking about, and this is sort of, you can tell when people are engaged, when they feel safe enough to talk about, hey, listen, you know, the catering didn't go well for that event, but don't worry, we're going to get them next time. So when you hear team members looking to the future, you know that they're inspired and engaged, and that's the power of a closing meeting. Last point mm -hmm. I'll make on that is it keeps you from recreating the wheel on future projects. Because if we're having these closing meetings and we're ticking and tying everything, what went well, what didn't go well, et cetera, all of that can be archived so we don't make the same mistakes again in the heat of the battle as we're just speeding through everything and we start from scratch on next year's event. Yeah, that's so true, right? You're, you got to learn from what you do so you don't start from scratch and, and have to build it from the ground up. And then recognition. I mean, recognition is just, you said it, it's more powerful than cash. I mean, but the, not right. that the cash isn't important. It is, but the recognition, it's amazing what that can do. So I want to go back to the topic of tools. And I know you're sort of tool agnostic, or maybe you're not endorsing a specific tool, but let's equip people. What should they be thinking about when selecting the tool? What do they want it to do? What are the factors they should be considering? I love this topic because, and I'll, I, again, I'll poll people and say, tell me what you use to manage a project. And almost a hundred percent of the time, the lead tool will be Excel. Nothing wrong with that at all. So hold that thought. On the other side of the coin, what I've seen happen in organizations is that the organization will make a decision to give out technology. I'll use an example. Oh, everybody, and again, I'm not endorsing any, anybody. It could be, hey, we're giving Microsoft Project to everybody. It's going to make you so productive. And everybody gets it. They open it up, they look at it, and they close it, never to be seen again. 
Why? Because they have no idea what to do with it. Now, Project looks a bit like Excel, but the difference is that it includes, and the magic of it is that it includes the project management principles. And again, I'm going to use these words. It's a Gantt chart. And when people understand things like dependencies, I mentioned earlier, and things like duration, not only is it going to help you in choosing a tool, but it's going to improve your overall time management in life. So just really quick, a dependency, a lot of times when we're scheduling, and think about this on an Excel spreadsheet, when we're scheduling, it's like, all right, we need to decide what customers, I'm using an event as a project. So we need to decide which of our customers we want at the event. So we're going to do that next Tuesday. Oh, and by the way, we need to check with Billy to get his approval before we even do that. So maybe we'll talk to him on thir- you know, this Thursday. But what happened is there's a dependency. We cannot do that other thing until we get Billy's approval. And in the program, whatever it is, the Gantt program, you can input and hook together these dependencies. That's number one. So things need to be hooked together to an outcome. And I'll come to that. The second thing that needs to be included is duration. So what will happen is somebody will say, well, Corey, how long will it take for you to get that customer list together? Oh, gosh, it'll just take me a couple hours. Really? Well, I need Billy to help me. And Joe is going to be on PTO. Those two, and I have seven projects because Billy has a million amazing, amazing ideas. And so we've got all these projects going on. And so those two hours really are going to take me three days, legitimately three days. When you know dependencies and duration and you put them into the tool, what comes out of it automatically is what's called the critical path. And the critical path is the point between A and Z of those tasks that need to be done exactly the way you planned them for the project to be completed when you said it's going to be completed. All of that to say, not to put you to sleep, But all of that to say, that's why that turns your tool into a strategic management tool that makes life easy. So for the people that are using Outlook or Excel or Word for their projects, you might consider using one of the tools that has a Gantt chart. And once you learn these principles, it's really going to make your life easier. It's not as complicated as it looks. Mm. Yeah. And to the point of kind of some of the biggest changes you've made to the book was implementing waterfall and agile and and curious what elements did you find that were from either or both of those philosophies that were most important to the update of the book is there anything worth noting that we either haven't covered or you think would be valuable to understand conceptually so that we can understand okay like here's why we're infusing these two things Yeah. So, and again, what we did with our overall program process, et cetera, is blend what we think is the best of waterfall and agile to come up with the whole flow of it. The key thing, and in the original book, we said that the overarching mindset was people plus process equals project management success. With the combination of Agile in there, 
the component that needed to be added was value. And so the overarching mindset now, as I, as I stated earlier, is value plus people plus process equals success. Because what happened, and you asked for statistics, here's another one from research that PMI did a number of years ago, that only about half of projects that completed met the original scope that it started out as. It turned, if you ever heard the term scope creep, which is another one of the things <laughs> on failure list all the time, right? Yeah, and yeah. so it just evolved into sort of this monstrosity that because everybody was inputting their ideas without thinking about value for the customer. And so value is a key point where we say we always need to ask through the project, is this supplying the value that it's supposed to? Should I be getting feedback? What are the feedback loops to make sure we're on target with that? So by the time we get to the project completion, we've really made sure we've hit it so that we're not getting to the end, which is what the waterfall process is, the end, and then saying, here, here's what you asked for. How do you like us now? And going, that's not what I asked for, you know, kind of thing. So the whole, the value piece is some of the, one of the basic principles of agile that has been infused into that. The sibling of that is track and adapt in our process to say, how do I create these feedback loops? And like I said, make sure I'm getting an open to feedback along the way without allowing ourselves to get to scope creep. So I think that's the most important update to this blend of waterfall and project management for unofficial project managers. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff in the agile world we don't need to get into because we're not, you know, talking about big software companies and all of that. This is the pragmatic pieces of agile combined with mostly waterfall for us to be able to create marketing campaigns and learning programs and, you know, all of that. Yeah. To your point, right? You, we could get into the weeds if, if it were the audience that would, would need that, but we're talking for the unofficial, unofficial. project manager. One of the things I do want to get, in, not in the weeds necessarily, but I'm curious, when you say value, because the value, that, that could mean so many things. What do you mean in this case? What is the value? So if you think about an organization's mission, vision, strategy. So, and again, regardless of whether you're a teeny tiny company or a large company, is the project that you are doing in alignment with the goals of the company? Because a lot of times, I mean, a lot times where it turns into pet projects or it's just something, somebody had a good idea, but it's not an alignment or, you know, with a customer, it's the customer asked for one thing. And we've seen this happen where the creators are like, oh, well, this will be good to put into it. And and it's not, it's not what the customer asked for. So at the end of the day, value is in the eye of the end user. And have I met what I need to meet that is highly valuable, whether it's internal or external in an organization? Mm. Yes. It's so important to have that alignment. And if you don't do the check-ins too, along the way, you could fall out of alignment. You know, if you're not careful, it's like a car, right? You know, get all of a sudden the car is veering left or right. You got to check the tires and make sure that they're in alignment. Okay. I, I just have two final questions for you. And then we'll, we'll share a little bit about where people can find you and in, in, in your books and all of that good stuff. What's a commonly held belief 
especially as it relates to this space, talking about project management that you disagree with, like something like, hey, everybody thinks this, but I I just have a different opinion on that. What do I disagree with? I, I don't disagree with any of the project management principles or any of that, but what is out there that I do disagree with is when people will say I can just drive a project through. I don't I don't need to worry about any of this. I don't you know the people, yeah, okay, you know, it's uh, soft skills, blah blah blah. And it's just interesting and I and I was saying that I'm working on another project right now on this particular topic where there's a line out there that everybody says, I'm sure we all you have and every other person in leadership out there where it's you know great leaders work with and through people. And I'm dissecting that down to say, you know, you better think about that because leaders who want to get results with and through others can do it by killing them or by intentionally leading using the five behaviors that I I mentioned before. So I, I disagree with those people that think you can get a project done at any cost. You might, but it's. I'm telling you, you're not going to get the quality. And I think you can see that out in the news. There's things going on out there where I sadly read how some of these products are turning out. And I know it's because people are being driven in a way that they should not be driven and too fast and the quality is not there. So it's all about the people. It really is. So last question for you, Corey, and thank you so much for your time is really what do we miss? Or maybe just a final thought. What did we miss that we need to talk about? Or maybe anything that to leave the audience with now that would help them on their own journey as an unofficial project manager? I don't know if we'd left anything out, but I I will say that the key to all of this is not a checklist of, oh, I need to do these behaviors or skills. I need to do this, 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 and this, and this. I'll follow the book. I have said to you a number of times that the overarching mindset is it's value plus people plus process. Mindset drives behavior. It's one of the tenets and principles of Dr. Stephen Covey, where he said, if you want to change behavior a little, work on your behaviors. But if you want quantum leaps in behavior, work on your mindset. And so I think people really should take the mindset really seriously. Wow, you know, if I really think about this as a mindset and I really buy into it, and so really marinate on that and then go through the book to say, no, I'm in, and then work on the skills of much greater success. Awesome. Thank you so much. The book is Project Management for the Unofficial Manager, Project Manager, and it's a pragmatic and doable approach that it includes the the blend, right? The blend of waterfall and agile and all the other elements that were in the original, which allows knowledge workers, leaders, people who are actually in the trenches doing these things, make these things happen faster. And to your point, Corey, your book shares it in a way that people can actually learn from through stories. Stories help to make it real, to make it memorable, and to make it something that people will actually apply in their lives. Um, so great to have this conversation with you. Really enjoyed learning all the things that that we discussed today and beyond. You can also check out her other books, The Five Choices, The Path to Extraordinary Productivity. And you could also check out 
presentation advantage. Corey, it's been an absolute delight. Where else can people find you or where else should people engage with you outside of this conversation? Billy, thank you so much for asking. And so you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm a good responder. So if anybody has any questions or comments, uh, you can find me there. And the franklincovey.com website. And then the books are available across all of your regular known book channels. So thanks for asking that. Absolutely. It's been a joy. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, empowering and giving people the tools they need to thrive at what they do to make an impact in the world. So Corey, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being on Inside Out. Yeah, thank you. And you continue the great work that you do too. So you're helping a lot of people out there. So thanks for having me on your show. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.